For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. (laughs) But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies underneath his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjected under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for we die tomorrow. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have knowledge of God. I say this to your shame, but Christ is raised from the dead. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality, the reality, the fact that your Son has been raised and he is alive today at your hand, interceding for us. We do not need to be people who are pitied. We need to be people who are envied that the world sees light as they're in darkness and they come to it like a moth to a flame. The hope is found in Jesus, your son. God, ignite this in our heart. Help us to be the lights that shine that into a world of darkness and let us never in any moment listen to the accusing voice of the devil that would make us ever doubt that our Savior is risen. He, in fact, has been risen from the dead. All of this is purposeful, and for a point, it is not in vain. Thank you, Father, you've given us a faith that's more precious than gold that perishes. I pray that you'd help the world see that. We pray this all in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, it's time to go to Summit Kids. Enjoy your time as you learn about the Lord. Open your hearts and minds to hear what God has for you. We love you. First Corinthians 15. Um, I don't really know how to transition from spectacular worship through music to presenting the Word of God without kneeling before the one who has delivered us the Word of God and asking him to place his hand upon it. So it's like, all right, Jasper prayed right on. I don't know that the church has ever been accused of praying too much. So I'm going to invite you to join me as we kneel before the Lord and ask his hand of protection and blessing and direction as we pray he declares the word father we come before you right now celebrating the magnificent truth of your son on the cross and the magnificent truth that he is risen from the dead and that one day he's going to put all his enemies under his feet he will hand over to you the kingdom that he worked for humbly submitting himself to your authority and your lordship over his life, even being God himself. Ah, Lord, may we remember that 
May we remember that, Lord, as the word is delivered today, we're asking that you would be the one that speaks. We ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would be at work in and among and through the hearts of each one that is here. Convict, confront, comfort, bring clarity. Speak to us, God, by your might and your power. We pray this. Amen. I've, um, I've come to, like as the Lord continues in a daily practice, he asks me to look on his great and magnificent glory and then see myself in light of his great and magnificent glory. And uh, with each passing day, he just keeps reminding me, Todd, your life demands my grace. Your life demands my grace. Your life demands my mercy, and apart from my grace and your mercy, you are a man that is absolutely lost and stands condemned. And so I return the praise to him, and I think we should do this very often, church. I return the praise to him. Praise God for the magnificent expression of his grace and his mercy through the cross as he expressed his eternal and great love for us by laying his life down for us so that we would not, did not have to stand condemned before him. So we praise God today for his magnificent grace. And today we're, we're gonna start this out today by, by talking about necessary endings, things that absolutely must come and have to come, okay? So we're gonna look at why we should be excited about the end. And when we talk about the end, this is the return of Christ. When he comes and he restores all things to, to the form that they were supposed, they were created, we're going to start talking about why we should be excited about the end. But there are some things that absolutely must come to an end. And so have a little bit of fun with me here. How about consider some movie series that you've been exposed to, let's say, over the last 20 years, all right? There are those that, that end and you just cannot wait for the next movie to come out. So, for example, for me, it was Avatar. When it ended, I'm, so what, my, what, mind has, what the mind of man has conceived, we have no idea. We fall so very short of thinking of what heaven is going to be like. And the world of Pandora was a, was a good stretch for the mind of a man. And I believe that was like man's expression of what he believes the glory of heaven is going to be, just this most magnificent, glorious, and beautiful place. But it falls short. But I was ready for the next one to come out because of the imagination that was expressed through that movie. And it came out, and I was pleased with it, but not as much as the first one. How about um, Lord of the Rings? When Lord of the Rings came out and they said, you have to wait a year for the next one, I waited with impatience for the next one, and then I waited with impatience to the next one. And then when the third one came out, I, find, I found myself being like dealing with a level of satisfaction, yet wishing there would be more because it was so well done. And so guess what happened? The Hobbit came out. The first Hobbit movie came out, had to wait a year, had to wait a year, bam, the third one, magnificent movie series that left me, those left me satisfied with the end, but wishing there would be more. Of course, you all know the Jason Bourne movies. I was always ready for the next one. How about the ones that needed to end? Movie series that needed to end. The first Transformers movie I saw, I'm like, what am I witnessing here? I have never seen anything like this on screen, ever. Maybe in my imagination, but never on, stream, on, on screen. And the second one comes out and you're like, it's already tired. And it's like 10 minutes in, and so you endure through the second when it actually was okay, and by the third one, I'm like literally looking at my watch wondering how much longer we're going to have to endure the, this movie. Jasper even said he fell asleep during the third uh, movie of the series of the Transformers. The Pirates of the Caribbean were the same thing. First one was excellent till we got to the third one. It's like I'm, if they come out with any more, it's really a waste of time and money because I'm not going to watch that. You know what, there, there's some fun things we can consider, but how about, how about seasons of life? When we take a moment and we rehearse seasons of life, we go back and there are times in our lives where we celebrate because of how wonderful that season was. And then we go back and we see seasons like, for me, 18 to 25. It's like, Lord, I praise you 
for bringing an end to that season of my life. Because if I were to consider that, it would be the slowest season of sanctification I experienced. And then the Lord, he, he really started to tighten the screws down and, and brought some more significant growth in my life from then on. Seasons of life, we love to see, we would love to rehearse again, and we love to see having been gone. How about this? I don't know how good you were when you were younger with breakups, but I was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. And my sons are now going to be embarrassed to know that this was their, this is the guy that raised them. I lived, I went to college in Huntington, Indiana. I didn't break, deal with breakups very well. And so I had like an eight to 10 hour drive, depending on traffic to listen to music that after a breakup, if the breakup isn't bad enough and you already feel this like deep level of despair and depression, I would spend that eight hour, nine hour drive listening to music that fueled my depression and my downness. So in the words of Toto, <laughs> which they're, they're my favorite group by the way, at least top three, as soon as my heart stops breaking, anticipating, as soon as forever is through, I'll be over you. Song I would play, put on repeat with other really sad songs mixed in with Chicago. Everyone knows that they can sing a good breakup song. Boys to Men put it this way, although we've come to the end of the road, still I can't let you go. It's unnatural. You belong to me and I belong to you. So I'm convincing myself, no, you're wrong. If you're not getting the picture here, I was typically the one that was broken up with. I'd, and some, it took longer to figure out, I really shouldn't be with this guy than others. It's really hard to read lyrics without not wanting to sing them, but that's not gonna happen. So here, here it is, the final one, and I could just keep going on and on. Night Ranger puts it this way, now it's hard leaving all this behind me now. Like a schoolboy so lost, which I was, never found until now, which is not true. And all this could be such a dream, so it seems. I was never much good at goodbyes. Yet it's hard living like life on this memory go round. See what he did there? Memory go round, always up, always down, turning round and round and round. And all this could be just a dream, so it seems. I was never much good at goodbyes. Incredible lyrics for the guy that wants to feel worse for himself than he already does. And so you can understand now, you can probably go back to the age of 15, 15 to 25, why I look back and I'm thinking, praise God, I don't have to endure that anymore. What a mess of a young man I was. There are two most clear scriptural statements that refer to something let's just call finality. And the first one is this, Christ on the cross, when he had turned himself over to the enemy, to be sacrificed on our behalf, taking on us the condemnation from God the Father that you and I so deserve. He is beaten and bloodied to death, and he is the one that turned himself over to death by saying, it is finished. From the moment Adam and Eve received the forbidden fruit based on their own personal decision. I want to know the difference between right and wrong. Receive the fruit. They bring death and destruction and sickness into our world, separating mankind from relationship with God the Father. All the way from Adam, mankind expressed it and continues to express it, but this most beautiful thing happened almost 2,000 years ago when Christ put an end to that separation by going to the cross for us and says, it is finished, making a way for us, tearing the temple curtain from top to bottom, inviting you and I into everlasting relationship with him. Praise God for that finished work on the cross. And then we're going to learn today, Paul reminds us that there is another end that is coming. He says, then comes the end, another end 
incredible statement of finality that I don't know about you, but with each and every passing day, I look more forward to the return of Christ. And here's what I know. For most, the thought of the return of Christ, for most, the thought of the return of Christ is a terrifying thing because they know Deep in their hearts, they have spent their lives trying to fill the hole that God has intended to fill. They fill that with things of this world, and they are not ready to meet their maker. They are not ready to step into eternity. And so for, the, for them, the thought of dying and standing before the Lord is a terrifying moment. Yet for some, for some of us, it is an exceedingly joyful truth to embrace that one day, Jesus, if you are willing to accept that he died and is resurrected, and he is right now working to place everything under his feet, all powers, all authorities, every enemy, even death itself, he is in the process right now of putting those under his feet. If you are willing to receive that, the return of Christ should be exceedingly joyful for you. In just a moment, I'm going to have Jeff play a video for us, but let me set it up for you. This past week, Sam shared um, the Oklahoma Sooners uh, women's softball team won the national championship, but uh, about a week ago or so, there was, there was recorded them, three, there three of their stars being interviewed by one of the most liberal sports outlets known to mankind, ESPN, and their reporter asks them a question. And I just keep, I keep watching this and waiting for the interview to be turned off because of how bold these three young ladies were as they spoke about who Jesus Christ is to them. And I want you to pay particular attention to what the third one says when she talks about the end. Okay, Jeff? For the players, I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with Um, Once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really, like, shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, And I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And 
no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. That is like the fifth time I've watched that. They are given a platform in front of a national audience being interviewed by a, by a very um, liberal news media reporter. And they didn't back down one ounce. They just went after it. I mean, look for real, I'm waiting on them to turn it off because it's too bold. And they let them finish. And praise God for that. I love the last one. I love all of them. This, this isn't in the end. This isn't our home. Softball, yeah, great. But we have something greater in store for us. And you heard her, like, we are, a, she's like, we're a part of a kingdom, and that's what we want to represent is the kingdom of God. The boldness that, that God gave them came from a perspective that this isn't the end, that we're one day going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ because we know what he did for us. Matthew 10 says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings, and for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. As you're interviewed by ESPN in front of a national audience, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Anxiousness is one of the things that so plagues our society today. These three had every opportunity to be anxious before these people. Don't be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in the hour. These are Jesus' words. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit of God your Father speaking through you. I praise God that he, that Jesus Christ is putting all of his enemies under his feet, all of your enemies, all of my enemies, enemies under his feet. One of the greatest powers that, is, that overtakes the heart of mankind is anxiety. And I watch these three with great confidence and wonderful composure declare that in front of a pagan world. And then I get up in front of you on a Sunday morning knowing you are my people. We go together. We're going to celebrate together in heaven with Jesus Christ all that he did for us one day. And yet I step up here with nervousness and trepidation. And all I have to do is declare the word of God, and they sit in front of people and in front of people that don't want to hear what they have to say. Why should we be so excited about the end? Last week, if you want to, if you want to look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're starting at verse 20. We're starting at verse 20. And as a, as a kind of tie-in for last week, Jasper, Jasper did a magnificent job with the passage of showing to us we absolutely can believe in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Paul goes on to say, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. So it is, an, it is a fact I don't understand personally, and it's probably because of the Holy Spirit of God in me that's doing this work. I don't understand how people can't receive that. This word has been preserved since the day it was put together. God closed the book. He said, no one's going to add to it. No one's going to take from it. And I know you're thinking back to Tuesday night. Well, some will try and twist it. That is true. But one thing they cannot mess with, and that is the truth that 500 plus 12 more plus Paul actually saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. They saw him, and it is recorded in a book that has not been tampered with. Praise God for that. He has preserved for us. We can receive the factual truth that Jesus Christ is risen, and we praise him for that. Ultimately, it is a matter of faith, 
because we weren't there to witness it ourselves. We have to receive the truth from the Word and in faith place our faith in that truth. It's a matter of faith. So, our question to ask today and answer is why should I be so excited about the end? Well, keep in mind, you're going to hear four different things, reasons why I believe that we should be excited for the end, but always remember this. You're going to hear it too many times today. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can actually look forward to his return. All right? So here's the first one we, come, we get from this passage, because we get to be resurrected too. Look at verses 21 through 23. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Through a man, through Adam, and his decision to receive the fruit from the tree that was forbidden for them, determining that he wanted to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, he takes of it and he introduces into our world death. He brings, he brings um, sickness to our flesh, a brokenness to our world. He brings us into separated relationship with God the Father. This is what Adam did. And we have done nothing but perpetuate that from the moment that Adam decided to do that with his wife Eve. Mankind has done nothing but perpetuate this sinful reaction to the things that this world has to offer. But then Christ, a man who came also in the flesh, was raised from the dead. He was made alive and made it possible for you and I to be resurrected too. Why in the world should this truth captivate us? What are the spiritual implications of being mingled together with our flesh? I want you to think about that, all right? We stand as brothers and sisters in Christ, Holy Spirit-filled. We stand righteous before God right now because we have received the truth of the resurrected Christ. Yet we are tied together with our flesh that continues to fall apart. So think about, the think about the implications of this, both physical, emotional, and spiritual implications, all right? The spiritual implications are simply this. I know I am tied together with God through the Holy Spirit in me, yet also connected to me is what makes me me, and that's my flesh. And just like Adam, when Adam went after what he was told not to, you and I over and over and over again go after the things that this world offers to us. So the spiritual implication is this, yet while we are saved and marked for all of eternity, we still have our flesh that's dragging us away and wants us to be a part of the kingdom of this world. That's the spiritual implication. Sin and shame and corruption are still tied to us while we stand righteous before God because of Christ on the cross. You know the physical implications. Yesterday I was on the beach, I'm watching Reed and Mitch throw football, and I'm rem remembering the days where I could easily throw a football, and uh, Mitch says, hey, I'll give you time to warm up your shoulder, and I said, well, those days are past. It's just not gonna warm up. And if it does warm up, it's still not going to take away the pain that comes when I throw a football. Broken flesh dragging me down. I know you have seen this in your own life. I know you've seen this, and I know you've seen this in the lives of your loved ones as you have watched physical um, reactions to this fallen world take place, dragging us to the grave, eventually dragging us to the grave in our, in our physical state. Emotionally, look at what's overtaken our country, anxiety. Man, you can see this one all around, anger. People with great frustrations about the way things are. But keep in mind, just as Adam chose, so do we choose. So I want you to be thinking now in terms of, in this broken world, I am look for, looking forward to the resurrection day where I stand with Jesus Christ because this is what I continue to give into. What is your disobedience and what is it bringing into your life? Adam brought it, you, perpet you perpetuate it, I perpetuate it because we choose poorly. That's what Adam brought into this world based on his disobedience. That's what you and I continue to bring into this world based on our disobedience. But then we have Christ 
in his great and magnificent humility before God the Father, obediently doing what he did, fulfilling the work, bringing life to you and I, so that in Christ all shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. Spiritually speaking, church, we need to remember that we are alive. But physically speaking, we also need to remember that we are connected to a flesh that is dying, that longs for one day to be restored to the state that God intended it for it to be before the fall. Death still reigns over our physical bodies, but new life is coming for our physical bodies the day that Christ returns, and we should long for that. Why should I be so excited about the end? Because Christ has made a way for us. Christ has made a way for us. Look at this one. Here's another one. Remember, it's because of Christ's resurrection. It's because he was resurrected. The end is coming for all things that stand against us. I want you to think about what stands against you right now. Everything that stands against us, Christ is in the process of putting under his feet. Look at verses 24 through 26. Then comes the end. The end is coming. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after, after this happens, he destroys every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When he takes care of all of this, then the end comes. Praise God for that day. Who's your greatest enemy? Who would you say is your greatest enemy? We love to point the finger at the devil. We love to point the finger at the world. But I want you to know this. The first and most important enemy you need to look at is yourself. Because you are the offspring of Adam, and because you are the offspring of Adam, you and your flesh desire the things that this world has to offer. And so understand this, you are your first and foremost enemy because of Adam, and because you perpetuate Adam's choice, right? Because of Adam, you physically suffer, you emotionally suffer, and it's has a negative impact on your spiritual well-being. But look at what Christ is in the process of doing. He is right now ruling and reigning. He is ruling and reigning. Let's remember that, okay? But we also know that the devil is in the process right now with his minions of prowling around, looking for someone that he can devour. He is on the move right now trying to take you captive and drag you down with the things that this world has to represent because he hates God and he hates you and me, his children. And so our ruling and reigning, Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is right now in the process of putting under his feet every evil rule that's set against him and against you, every evil authority that's set against him and against you, and every power that's set against him and against you. Let me ask you a question right now. As Christ continues to do this work, what power has overtaken you? I mentioned a couple of them already, I believe, plague us and our church and the world in general. Fear and anxiety absolutely overcomes people. Another one, Anger, we talked about that one, but here's one. We see all this going on around us. We see, we know the Lord is hard at work on our behalf. He stands at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father and speaks on our behalf. He continues, he continues to develop his rule and his reign as he presses down the enemy. Yet we don't go to him. So here's another one, apathy. Apathy. I believe that is a power that overtakes us. We have determined we're good. We're good with the Lord. He's done the work. I'm in full relationship with him. I can just sit here now and wait on his return and trust that everything's going to be okay. And then someone stands up on a stage and declares some form of heresy 
that has the potential to lead you astray. All of a sudden, you're like, man, I don't know what's going on here. Because you haven't spent time, significant, intentional, consistent time, bathing yourself with the true Word of God, understanding who Jesus Christ is and what He wants from you as a representative of His kingdom. Apathy. What power has taken overtaken you? Those Oklahoma University softball players, the eloquence, the confidence for them to sit in front of the world and declare what they did, anxiety was not on their table. It was not in their hearts. They freely communicated the straightforward gospel message of Jesus Christ. I believe they are understanding at a very young age that Christ is in charge, even of the rulers and authorities and powers that are against us. The day is coming when when Christ is going to put, according to verse 25, all his enemies under his feet. And then here's the one. Are you afraid of death? Because that one's coming. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Are you afraid of it? I can tell you this, I continue to pray that the Lord would stir in me my love and affection for him so that his perfect love would cast out all fear, even the fear of death. Even the fear of death. That's a prayer of mine. Because if you were to ask me, I'd be straightforward with you. Yeah, there's, there are pieces of death that I am unsure of and make me afraid. So Lord God, stir in me so that I am no longer afraid of that day where you would determine it's time for me to come home. What would you do, what would you do if you could remove all the the negative impact of your flesh on your soul? You could remove all of that. What would happen if you could remove all powers and authorities and enemies that stand against you? Even death, what if you could wipe that away from your thought process in your life? Where would you be today without those things? I can tell you what James would say. You're going to be so shallow in your faith, you're, not, you're going to come to a point where, where you don't even need Jesus. You believe you don't even need him. Because he says we're to consider a pure joy whenever you face trials, whenever you stand against the enemy, whenever you face death, uh, consider a pure joy when you face these things so that the testing of your faith may develop perseverance and that would finish its work so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not afraid of death. Mature and complete, willing to sit in front of the nation and declare the the person of Jesus Christ. This is why we need these things, and God himself knows we need them. What would your life look like if these weren't a reality, your spiritual life look like? And I can tell you this, these drive us to long for the return of Christ, don't they? To long for the return of Christ. I want to be done with this. I want to be done with my flesh that continues to choose of this world. I'm ready for the resurrected Christ to give me my resurrected body. How about you? Here's a third one. We need to keep moving. Why should I be so excited about the end? Remember, we can be excited because Christ has been resurrected, but resurrected. But here's a third one. Because the work of Jesus perfectly fulfills God's plan. God laid out the marching orders for Jesus. Jesus knew even as and before Adam and Eve were choosing poorly. He knew what he was going to have to do. He willingly humbled himself and submitted to the plan of God the Father. Listen to this. For God the Father, verse 27, has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. Jesus rules and reigns. Everything is subject to Jesus, his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he, the Father, is accepted who put all things in subjection under him, Jesus. So God is saying, or Paul is saying right now, yes, God the Father told Jesus, this is what I want you to do. And I am putting everything, Jesus, into subjection to you under your feet, except for myself, except for myself. I'm the only one that's not going to be put into subjection under your feet, okay? Jesus said, okay. He said, okay, look at verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things into subjection under him. Why? That God may be all in all. 
whole lot of subjected and subjections and subjectings going on in that passage, right? This is the perfect example of humility and loyalty being expressed right here. Jesus, one day, is turning the kingdom over back to God the Father, okay? God the Father gives the instructions. Jesus fulfills every single instruction that God the Father gave, every single one. He did all the work from the moment he was born of a virgin as a baby till the day he died, till the day he suffered on the cross, till the day he was risen, even today he continues to work to put our enemies, his enemies, under his feet. Jesus is doing all the work. He is doing it all to eventually one day when it is complete, he's going to take the kingdom, which is you and me, that Christ purchased and brought us into, it's you and me, he's going to take us in the fullness of it from all time past, and he's going to sit it, sit us, sit the kingdom at the feet of God the Father and say, here it is. This is for you. I did this for you. I humbly then submit myself to your authority over me. What an incredible expression of humility. Now listen, how do we compare that? I don't know how to do that. Like I've tried to think, I've tried to think of the, of the guy that determined I'm going to turn, I'm going to start making soap out of a bathtub that's eventually going to turn into a multi-billion dollar business. So then who do I turn it over to that, that never earned it? Here's a better one for you. You ready? Parents. Parents. God has entrusted to you your children. You are raising your children to the best of your ability to the day where they stand in front of you and you know it's time to turn them over and God is going to say, your job is finished, now it's, now it's on me. You have done everything, stayed up late at night, poured yourself out in prayers, protected, exhorted, confronted, spanked, encouraged, everything, to then say, God, they're yours. They were never mine to begin with. How hard is that? That's a tiny little example of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Fulfillment through humble submission is what we see here. Praise Jesus for that. Here's a fourth one, and we're going to blow right through this one because no one has been able to make sense of this. John MacArthur had a contemporary of his in his postgraduate work write his doctoral thesis on this verse alone. One verse. He says this, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? This guy did his doctoral thesis on this one verse because there were 40 different perspectives on the meaning of this passage. Then you mix in John MacArthur's, so here goes mine. This isn't, so understand this, this is just my attempt to try and make sense of a verse that no one's been able to make sense of. If people are being, what, what I believe Paul is saying here, there are people among you that are declaring they don't believe in the resurrection, yet they want to be baptized on behalf of the dead. And Paul's saying, why are you doing that? If you don't believe in the resurrection, why are you being baptized on behalf of the dead? But there's something in them that is saying, I, must be, my, I have a lost loved one that is gone. I want to be baptized on their behalf so they don't have to suffer, suffer separation from relationship with God himself. That's my take on it. I'm coming past it because I don't want you to build any sort of theology on that. That's my take on verse 29. But look at verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour, Paul says? I protest, brother, brothers, my pride is in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die every day. He says, I'm in danger. Why are we in danger every hour? I'm dying every day. He goes on in verse 32 to say, I fought with the beasts of Ephesus. It was pretty rough in Ephesus for him. Here's what Paul is saying. Why would I spend myself on something to the point of death that isn't true? Christ's resurrection is for real, and Paul exemplified that in his life. Here's some further evidence. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
So in other words, if the resurrection isn't true, I am such a fool, I should be turning myself over to the full fulfillment of my flesh because tomorrow I am dead in the grave to never be living again. Paul is like, based on my own life and my own testimony and my own witness, please receive that the resurrection is true. That's a lot of stuff. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, and we benefit so much from it. Listen, church, look at verses 33 and 34. We need each other. We need each other to be good for each other. Paul says, do not be, de- be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And then he goes on, read verse 34 for yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. It ruins good morals. We must represent Christ to each other because we need each other. We need each other. The end is coming. Whether you die on your way home from church or you're here when the resurrected Christ takes you home to be with him, restores you to your full glorified body, the end is coming. And so I know you're like, well, when's the resurrection going to be? I don't know. When's the end going to come? I don't know. Well, what's it going to look like? What's going to happen? I really wanted to get to this. So listen to this. For the unbeliever, you should listen to this with great sobriety. The one who is yet to receive the truth of the resurrection. This is what awaits you. Revelation chapter 6 says this, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is coming, okay? It's recorded in the Word of God. It is coming. This is what's going to happen to the unbeliever. The king, all the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and crying to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb of God. For who or for the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? This is what the unbeliever, the one who refuses the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has in store for him or her. Unbeliever, it's time to, it's time to receive the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for those who believe, listen to this. Out of the mouth of Jesus to the disciples in Matthew chapter 24, he says, For as as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Immediately Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, the ones who don't know Jesus. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather, the angels will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's him coming for you and me, brother and sister in Christ. Okay, great. I get it, Todd. He's coming for me. Help me long for that day even more. Okay, listen to this. Listen to what this means for you and me in the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Without junk to deal with here and the beauty of that magnificent day, without those two things in our minds, we get stuck here. Church, let's lay aside our flesh. Let's look to the magnificent return of Christ and the day where he brings us into everlasting physical relationship with him. If you are not in relationship with the resurrected Jesus, you're in big trouble. Man, I ask you, come down, talk to an elder, talk to a pastor, talk to a friend you know you can count on. Give your life to the resurrected Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for the promise of your return. And in the meantime, Lord, may we be representative of your kingdoms, loving the truth of your return and putting off the nasty things of this world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I love how God uses Pastor Todd to prepare for weeks, knowing that this is coming, being sensitive to even show a video of something relevant in our time. And my heart is, is re-reminded of what this is all about. Let me read again one of the last verses that Todd read from this passage. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning, acting like the resurrection isn't real. For some have no knowledge of God. And he said, I say this to your shame. And my mind is immediately thinking of this song. We'll be a church ready for you. I'm thinking about these three girls who are taking the opportunity because there are millions of people watching them who have no knowledge of God. And they lived like a church ready for him to come. Not being bad company, corrupting the people that they're talking to, but being the people on earth, shining the light, trying to help the world see that there's a resurrected Savior and He's coming back. Hear and believe. Arise, wake up every single day, denying ourselves, realizing we're not living for this world. The things of this world are passing away. God, give us some at church a renewed heart every single day. I need it. We need it to remember you're risen and coming back. Let us live like that among the people who have no knowledge of God for the rest of our life. And he will and he does use you all the time. Trust him in you for the benefit of the world. And encourage one another each day, the more we're seeing that day, the more we're seeing that day approach. That's the command of scripture. Church, know this, that you are loved and go about your day as a church ready for the appearing of the great glory and God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.